Okay, guys, good morning, good morning, good morning. How you doing? Good. You know, I was, uh, every morning, Trudy and I get up, my wife and I get up, and we have, we're so blessed. We, we're, our, our house is on a creek. So we get out on the patio, and our little French bulldog goes out there with us. And we're drinking coffee, and that's where we pray. And, and uh, then I'll go out and study. And the weather was so, we had the big weather change last week, so it's nice out there. This morning, there was smoke coming up off the creek, and yeah, I love fall. And uh, anyway, so every once in a while, this this little bulldog, she's two years old, she will just get excited and take off and zoom. You know what I'm talking about? Zooming, where she just runs, and, and man, she can fly. She, you know, pins her ears back, and she'll make two or three turns throughout the yard. And, and they say they do that because they're happy and contented and satisfied. So this weekend, uh, or yesterday in particular, I was going over these this teaching, and I, I thought, man, I want to get up and do a Zoom right now, because this is so good. You know, as we dig into this, we're really only getting started, but you see the depth and the detail of how much God loves us, how when we messed up, He wanted to bring us back, had a plan. Uh, it, it, this is so beautiful. So I, I get excited. We're going to have a great time. You ready? Um, and as we get into this, let's pray uh, to, to the Lord. Lord, we love you today. We come before you with thanksgiving, with praise. Lord, we're so grateful to you. We thank you that we're redeemed. We don't come to church today out of religion, duty. We come because we love you. You love us. We want to learn more about you and the wonderful things that we have in Christ, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago on the, on the cross, what was fulfilled to make us. Uh, to, to make it ours and lord we thank you for helping us today help me communicate these truths uh, that are in the word of god and we thank you for a great day in jesus name amen all right uh, if you got your book uh, we're going to go to day or, or weekend number two and uh, we're going to review just a little bit on on what we talked about la uh, last week our subject is a dwelling place for god God finding a place to dwell. I found this out this week. I didn't know this, but I looked this up and found this in a, uh, some study I was doing. The word tabernacle, or the tabernacle is a tent, is actually what it is. Actually means, in the Hebrew, it's the, the Hebrew word ohel, O-H-E-L, and it actually means the heart of God revealed. You will write that down. Tabernacle means the heart of God revealed. We're going to see that as we study. And here's the thing. God loves you more than you will ever fully understand this side of heaven. God loves people. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? God loves us so much. And uh, so the tabernacle was a place of God's revelation. Or the tent or the home where his love and his plan could be revealed in the Old Testament. And... Uh, so last week we were just kind of setting the stage and we talked about how God created man to be close to him. Uh, he created Adam and then not only did he just, you know, create him and now here he is in the earth, but he was close with him. He breathed the breath of life into him. You don't get any closer than that, right? And he trained him, took him to the Garden of Eden and trained him, gave him a wonderful place to live. Uh, uh, blessing was everywhere in the very beginning but then we know that Adam and Eve sinned and death came into the world because of sin sin's a serious thing to disobey God was a serious thing it, it brings repercussions 
And so the repercussion was sin is now passed on to everybody, right? And God could have, you know, kind of gone, gone, okay, forget these people. I'm just going to start all over. Let's forget this. I mean, these guys messed up. Let's just get a brand new set of people, see if I can find some better ones, right? But he didn't do that. Uh, now, there is a judgment of God, and we see that from time to time. We see that in the flood of Noah when the earth became so wicked that uh, it was horrible. Sin was everywhere, and but God found this one man named Noah who would obey him, and uh, he did. He obeyed God and built the ark, and the ark was a place for him and his fami- family to, ref- to take refuge, but then the flood came, and everybody was wiped out. And there's coming a day when Jesus comes back that there's going to be a big war, and it's going to be rough, buddy. That's why we want to serve him now. But, uh, but the, back to my point, God loves people, and uh, his desire is to be close. So he began to work with people that would believe him. God always requires faith, and he would find people, people like Enoch, who walked with God. Uh, very closely and and the day came says i love the scripture says and enoch was not for god took him (laughs) we don't get much detail but here's enoch just walking with god closely and all of a sudden bam he got raptured to heaven wow so he worked with people like that uh the prophets abraham brought in the covenant of god we're going to talk about that covenant this morning Uh, in exodus 19 verse 5 god said this now if you will obey me and keep my covenant to the children of Israel. Exodus 19, 5, if you want to write that down. You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, verse 6, my holy nation. This is the message you must, God talking to Noah, or, or excuse me, God talking to Moses, you must give to the people of Israel. So now God's dealing with the Jews. He's brought them out of Egypt out of bondage and he's taking them somewhere he's taking them to the land of promise where they're going to have their own land and be blessed and uh, so in the process god is wanting to get close to these people and he says this amazing thing i want to make you a kingdom of priests and a priest is one that is ordained of god to to go into his presence and experience his presence in a very deep way so As this is being walked out, the scripture says in Exodus 20, verse 18, we read this, and I'm going to read it again, said that when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And this is uh, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, and then God is wanting to make them a nation of priests. So the presence of God in all its glory comes down on this mountain. But it freaked the people out. (laughs) And verse 19, they said to Moses, "Uh, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we're going to (laughs) die. And Moses says, no, don't be afraid for God has come in this way to test you. And so that you fear him. uh, So the fear of him will keep you from sinning. And the people stood at a distance. And Moses approached and went into the dark cloud, and God ministered to him. But the people stood at a distance, stood at a distance. I think we see Christians even today. Sometimes we do that. We don't want to kind of pay the price and dig in enough so that we can have that relationship with God. We like pastors to preach about it. You know, we get some satisfaction maybe a couple of times a week. And I'm not saying everybody's like this, but it's kind of this general thing that's gone on 
in, in my view of, of the church in the last, say, 15, 20 years, that um, it's kind of a people come to church, and, and, but they only want to get so close. And churches have kind of made it, some churches made it easy for people not to get close and told people, oh, you're okay, you got saved. You know, just doesn't matter how you live. And, you know, it does matter how you live. It matters how you live uh, because God has a plan for your life. And so in a sense, the people turn God down, but God is relentless in his love. He's relentless. Everybody say relentless. He just doesn't quit. He just keeps on coming. So today we come to Exodus 25. And if you got your Bible or your device, I'm going to read this scripture. Exodus 25 verse 8 and this is the beginning of God's revealing of the tabernacle and he says this have the people tells us to Moses have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them verse 9 you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly it's very important exactly according to the pattern I will show you that was important because of all the, the revelation that's in every detail, down to the pegs that, that fastened the curtains, down to the skins that covered this tabernacle. Um, so it's very important that he build it according to God's pattern. And I believe this pattern is a picture of the tabernacle of God that's in heaven. There's some kind of a tabernacle in heaven, and I'm not, we're not sure what that looks like, but... I believe this is a picture of that. So the tabernacle is a portable tent for God to meet with his people through the prescribed priesthood. And somebody says, well, Pastor Ken, why are we studying this? Because, you know, this is Old Testament, and we live in the New Testament. And what's the rele relevance for me in the church? Remember we talked about this. The Old Testament that didn't pass away. The Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. And the Old Testament is a shadow of, of what we have in reality in the New Testament. All right, I'm going to say that again. The Old Testament is a shadow or a picture of what we have in reality, what is really ours in the New Testament. They only lived in the shadow, but we live in the real. That's why we look back at it, and the Apostle Paul did this much of the time in his teaching. The book of Hebrews gives us details about the tabernacle and about the relationship with God. So uh, so all Scripture is important, right? Old and New Testament. In fact, first, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture, old, new, all of it, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So everything in the tabernacle, everything is a picture of what we as a Christian have in reality in Christ. You all write that down. Say it again. Everything in the tabernacle is a picture of what we have as a Christian in reality in Christ. The tabernacle is a picture of a lot of things. It's a picture, first of all, of the church. In fact, Paul wrote about this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So when we come together as the church in New Song Church in Edmond, Oklahoma this morning. We are the temple of God, not the building that we're living in. This is just a, a place we come meet. But we, the people, are the tabernacle of God. Because if you are a believer, God just doesn't, you know, he doesn't live in a building. <laughs> he 
He did in the Old Covenant. We're going to see that. But now he lives in people. It's incredible. And the tabernacle is pointing to this as a fact. The tabernacle is also a picture of Jesus and our redemption. Every piece uh, of the tabernacle is significant of something that Jesus has, has bought for us by his precious blood. Uh, the tabernacle is a picture of the individual as a church. Uh, we're going to discover that there are three basic portions of the tabernacle. There's the outer court, then there's the inner court, and then there's the holy of holies. And each one of those is a picture of us. The outer court is a picture of our body, our physical being. The inner court is a picture of our soul and our mind and our thinker and our decider. And then the Holy of Holies is a picture of, uh, of our spirit because we are spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul or a mind, and we live in a body, right? So the tabernacle is a picture of all that. The, the tabernacle is designed as a model of how we are to respectfully approach the Lord in prayer. So this is a portable tent that moved from place to place as the Jews journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land. And it was used for hundreds of years, the, just portable tabernacle in different ways. There was a tabernacle of Moses that was very detailed. And then there was also the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David was different. It emphasized something different. Uh, I don't think there's any Old Testament prophet that was a picture of Christ like David. Um, in fact, it says in the New Testament that God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And all the detail in the tabernacle of Moses, it's all important to understand, but in the tabernacle of David, they didn't have all that. In fact, in the tabernacle of David, you could see look from the outside and see everybody could see the ark of the covenant well you couldn't do that in in the tabernacle of moses so uh, once again these are all pictures of what we have in christ so the details of the tabernacle are found in exodus 25 through 40 and you can read that i encourage you to read it it can be a little dry <laughs> but but as we go through this this may help you understand a little bit better uh, what it's all about so let's read it again according to all that i show you exodus 25 9 god speaking that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it so the there's a picture that we have up on the screen of the tabernacle uh an overview of it and the dimensions you can see it here we go were 75 feet wide and 150 feet long uh, the courtyard was, was fenced with linen curtains. You can see that all around the, the uh, tabernacle. And there was a gate that faced the east. The courtyard posts were seven and a half feet high. And there were 70 posts that went all around it with, bron with a bronze base that held it up. So as you read this in Exodus 25, God begins the instruction of building the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, which is interesting because... How many people, whenever you're planning to build a house, the first thing you think about is the furniture? But God's making a point here. The whole point or destination, the journey of the destination in the, in the ark was the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. That's where we want to go. That's what we're encountering. So we're going to begin our journey at the very beginning, and that is at the outer court. We're going to go to the outer court. The journey began by coming to the outer court. Worship begins by taking, remember, the outer court's a picture of our flesh, right? So worship begins with us taking a hold of our flesh, 
making a decision to say, okay, flesh, we're going to worship God. We're going to present our flesh to the Lord. Romans 12.1 talks about this. It says this, Paul speaking, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a holy and living, excuse me, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So in the furniture of the tabernacle, there's a careful avoidance, and let's just throw this in, of making any kind of an image of God because they were forbidden to do that. The reason is because there was so much idol worship. Uh, the world was full of idol worship at this time. So everything that was used for the furniture was by way of suggestion or what was by way of a shadow, but there was no image of God. So it, the journey begins at the gate. So let's put up the picture of the gate. Uh, is that it? Okay, all right, that's the gate. The gate, uh, let's read in Exodus twenty-seven sixteen about the gate. For the gate of the court, this is Exodus 27, 16. If you're, you're reading this, you have a picture of it there. Uh, for the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver, and it shall have four pillars and four sockets. So this gate greeted the worshiper. This is the place that the worshipers came. And the gate faced the east, and the gate was beautiful. The gate was wide. The gate was colorful and pleasant to look at. It was a place of entry, but it was very welcoming. It said, hey, this is beautiful. This is great. The journey begins with God telling us that this is going to be a wonderful journey. The gate tells us there is room for everyone. No matter who you are or what you've done, you can come to the gate. Now, the gate had four colors in it. And these four colors were all significant. First of all, the gate was purple. And purple is the color of kings. And purple speaks of Jesus as the king of kings. So we're coming to the gate of the king of kings. The, the gate was also scarlet. And that's red. That's the color of blood. And that speaks to us as Jesus as our redeemer. Then number three, the gate was white. And that was the color associated with purity clean and pure and it speaks of the holy character of jesus there was no sin found in him he's the only one that has ever done that he was sinless spotless lamb that came for us we have a great hero this morning uh, the other color was uh, the fourth color was blue and it's the color of heaven and of divinity it's uh, depictive of the sky. We, we look at the endlessness of the blue sky. That's a picture of the endlessness of the goodness of God toward us. This is speaking of Jesus as the Son of God and the unending depth and span of his love and his promises. They go on and on forever. Isn't that awesome? So this, as the, as the Hebrew people were coming in, they would see these colors, and it meant something to them. It, it, it showed them that this is going to be a wonderful journey. Uh, and everybody can come in. The gate's wide, remember? 1 Timothy 2.4 that says that God desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Everybody's welcome. The grossest, rankest sinner is welcome through the gate, right? Even this is wild. I mean, we think about how bad can you get you know, Hitler could have gotten saved. I believe that. But he 
probably didn't, but he could have because of the power of God, not because of him, but he could have been forgiven if he were, would have received it. Even after all the wicked things that people have done, God receives us. I think when I got saved, that's the thing that blew my mind. Uh, I, I felt uh, I had a conversion that was fairly dramatic. All right, and I was running from God. My wife got saved, prayed me into the kingdom. It's a lot of our story. So one night in our little apartment, I prayed, and I, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and one of the reasons I didn't do it a little earlier was because I didn't know if I could hold up my end of the bargain. And I didn't, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, you know. And so I thought, well, and so finally I go, okay, I got to do this because I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew that, that hell was a reality. I did. I thought about that too. And so we prayed, and man, the power of God hit me. And I was, I was kneeling in our little apartment. There were some people there that ministered to me, uh, Trudy's brother-in-law. And the uh, power of God came on me, and I, I, I was filled with the Spirit. I got saved and filled with the Spirit that same night. And then I, I kind of got, got woozy. I was kind of drunk when I got up. And I was and I was kind of giggling too. I mean, this joy kind of came on me, and uh, and I, I remember just kind of going like that. And I thought, you know, it's interesting because I was I was on the road to alcoholism, so drinking was something that was common to me pretty much every day. And so when I get saved, God gets me drunk. <laughs> Isn't that kind of cool? But His drunk was a whole lot better, right? But uh, but I was welcomed in, and I and the thing. When I got up the next morning, I remember looking outside, and I, it seemed like the sun was brighter. And I, I knew I was a little, you know, I thought, can I do this? I hope I can do this. But I sensed that I was forgiven and that I was cleansed. And God welcomed me in. And that's what he does with sinners, man, because I was a sinner. And God loves sinners. He came, Jesus came to be the friend of sinners. Isn't that good? So that's what the gate's all about. There's a password to entry in the gate. It's found in Psalm 100, verse 4. And this is a password for the tabernacle. It's a password for us, too. And this is speaking of the tabernacle when David wrote this. And it says this, Enter into his gates feeling really bad about yourself. I mean, be down because you, you messed up this week and you blew it. And so you enter his gates. you got to think about it. Does it say that? Nope. doesn't say that. Psalm 100, verse 4, if you want to look it up. Enter his gates with great regrets because of the past and the things that you did. And, and man, what's wrong with you? Does it say that? Nope. Doesn't say that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then we go into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The password is thanksgiving. Let me talk about that for a minute. You know, one of the best things to do when you come before the Lord is to just make yourself go, okay, Lord, what am I thankful for? Because you've always got something to be thankful for. And your challenges and whatever you're facing, there, there's always something to be thankful for. You're alive. You're breathing. That's something to be thankful for, right? You, uh, you, have, uh, you have relationships that you can be thankful for. Even when people, some people have done you wrong, there's got to be somebody in there that did you right. And I got a bunch of those when I think about it. Uh, so we need to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And we praise the Lord. You know, this is a big deal with the Lord. The Lord is a very positive person. <laughs> he, do, he doesn't get down and depressed. And we should be the same way. Anytime we come to him, we need to approach him with thanksgiving because he's good. We need to thank him for our families. Our, we need to thank him for our children. In fact, 
when uh, when people came to the gate, they came as families. And the entire family would come together with the children, husband and wife and families. Because God is a family God. God created the family. That's, that's the entity in which the church is built. If we don't have families, if we don't have men and women with children, we don't have a church, right? And it takes all of us uh, to carry out the church. So the gate was the only entry point. Nobody could sneak in the back way. You couldn't crawl under the, 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 uh, the gates. You couldn't do it that way. And this is speaking of the only entry way to the gate to the Lord is through Jesus Christ. In John 10, Jesus talks about this. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So why, what does he mean by he's the shepherd of the sheep? What's this gatekeeper? Well, Jesus came in through the proper gate to get into the earth. He came in through the gate of birth. Jesus just didn't appear in his glory with a natural body. Didn't work that way. He was born as a baby. He came the way all of us did. You know, the, the devil didn't come that way. He's a usurper of authority because he came. He's on the earth. In fact, he was kicked out of heaven, and now he's on the earth. But he, can't, he didn't come the right way. He's not, he didn't come as a man. He, he's, he doesn't have any flesh. He's a spirit. So um, he, comes, he's, he is not authorized to do anything in our lives. He is unauthorized trouble, <laughs> right? But Jesus came the right way. He goes on verse 9. Jesus declares, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. Now, let me say something here. In, in the tabernacle, only the priest could go past the, the uh, brazen altar, which we're about to talk about. Only You can only do that if you were a priest. And only the high priest, once a year on the great day of atonement, could go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And if he just d didn't do it just right, his dress had to be perfect. His, uh, his, his demeanor had to be perfect, had to carry out all the sacrifices just right, had to sprinkle blood, blood just right, had to do everything just right. He could die dead in the Holy of Holies. That's why they tied a rope around his leg. Because if he dies in there, then they can pull him out. Because nobody can go in there and get him or they're going to die too. So we got a problem, you know. We got priests stacking up before long if we don't have a rope around this guy's leg to pull him out. It was serious business. But Jesus came the right way. And now through his priesthood, because we know him, we can go past the brazen altar right through the uh, outer court, then in the inner court, and right into the Ark of the Covenant today, every day of our lives. Wow. Uh, so let me finish this. Uh, Jesus, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So that's the gate. So after we enter the gate, now we come to the brass altar. And here's a picture of the altar. Uh, and the altar was, you can see it there, it was uh, square. It was five cubits long and five cubits wide, and that actually means it was approximately 90 inches wide and 90 inches long, or seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. 
there were four horns on the corners. You see those horns there? And they were designed to tie the animals for the sacrifice. There was a fire in the middle of it, and it was burning all the time, so there was always smoke coming out of that altar. And uh, when you came to the brass altar, it immediately brings us face-to-face with sin, and that on our own merit, we cannot come before a holy God. None of us can. Romans 3, verse 10, talks about this. Uh, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Is that pretty clear? That we, all of us, every human being, we cannot come before God on our own steam because our steam didn't make it. We all sinned. We all missed it somewhere. Uh, So this brazen altar brings us face-to-face with the seriousness and dread of the results of sin. It was a place to confront the judgment that uh, we all deserve. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as they came to this altar, the blood of an animal has to be shed and offered to appease God. Hebrews 9, 22 speaks of this. Uh, and you guys, are you writing? You writing fast as I give you all these scriptures to go back over? It says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood, it's very important, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Blood had to be shed because the wages of sin is something's got to die. And that something is us if, you know, unless we have a substitute for us. So this is the place that the animals were sacrificed. Their blood was captured and offered to God as an atonement for the sins of the people. Now it was made of brass and wood. And that's important. It was not, not made of pure gold or silver or anything like that. It was brass. Brass is an alloy. It's a mixture of, of, uh, of different metals. And it represents impurity and sin. It represents it's not pure like gold would be pure. And then wood, it was made out of this brass and wood. Wood represents humanity, represents human beings. So this altar was a place of sacrifice. The, the fire on the altar was to burn continually. And it represented the reality of the wages of sin being death and hell. You know, folks, there is really a hell down there. And it really exists. And... It's something that we all have to realize and thank God that we don't go there when we receive Christ because Revelation 20, I'm going to read about what's about what's going to happen in the end. It says uh, there's coming a day, and this is after Jesus has come back bodily, and uh, there's going to be a big war, and Jesus is going to win this war because Jesus is a warrior, and I like that. When Je- you know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, was the Lamb of God, Right. And he was gentle, and he was sweet, and he was tender, and he was loving, and he gave everything up when he went to the cross, and he died that death, and he was humble. But So that's the first time he came. In fact, the Jews missed the, the Messiah because they thought the Messiah was going to come as a warrior and as a king, and they, did, they couldn't believe in him because they said, oh, he's not a king. He's, they thought he was going to take over the government. Well, there will be a day when he will take over the government. Isn't that comforting to know? And there will be no more Republicans or Democrats. There will be no more uh, things hidden under the rug. Who knows what's going on in government? 
these people tell you yeah, never mind i don't get it. uh but but it will be king jesus do it his way he's going to sit on the throne his way or the highway but it's going to be good it's going to be wonderful but let me read this revelation 20 verse 10 speaks of when the enemy's defeated and says then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur joining the beast and the false prophet burning fiery lake of sulfur kind of reminds you of the brass altar right there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever i saw a great white throne and the one and the one sitting on it the earth and sky fled from his presence and they found no place to hide i saw the dead both great and small standing before god's throne and the books were open including the book of life and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book so there is coming a day everything's going to change man and the enemy's going to be judged and he will no longer be a problem but god is a loving god and there are people we have to understand though that there are people that are really going to go to hell and one of the reasons that we are here this morning and you are still alive you know god could have in his in his great wisdom you get saved you know it says you're not really a, no longer a citizen here you really don't we don't really belong here we're like aliens it says that in the scripture we're like aliens so why are we he could have just zapped us up to heaven but why are we here just to struggle and and you know just hold out till we get to heaven no you have purpose here and part of that purpose is to touch people for jesus christ in your world to be a living witness in your job and in your relationships and when you go in a uh you, you go on an on cue and and always be looking for an opportunity how can i talk about jesus today i got people in my neighborhood i'm praying for i got a vietnamese guy named tran and tran's the sweetest guy he's got a couple of kids he's got a teenager that skateboards and this kid is really good he's is I, I walk my little dog and i see his, he's out there skateboarding and he's the sweetest guy but he's a buddhist but Tran's in trouble because I'm praying for him. And I'm, I'm believing God he's going to get saved. And then I've got a guy two doors down from me named Asif, who is a Muslim. And I'm praying for Asif. And, I, and I'm, I'm, here's the way I'm doing it. I'm starting. I'm really, really nice to these guys. And in order for them to, for me to present Jesus to them, which I haven't, I haven't been able to do yet, and, and hopefully I will. If not, I'm praying that somebody else will, if they, you know, because it may not be me. But God needs me to pray for him, right? And uh, uh, so, so that's we have a purpose. We have a purpose to reach these people. That's why we're here, and to raise your family. And your greatest disciples will be your children. That's the greatest disciples you have. You know, we because of the ministry of I was in kids ministry when I was young, and Trudy and I early on, thank God, we found out the importance of little kids. And we begin to see how much little kids can be. They can know the Lord when they're young. They can get saved when they're kids. A lot of people don't believe that. They just think, oh, they're sweet and cute, and we'll just put them in a little class. No, they can meet the In fact, that's the best time to do it, when they're young, before they go through things. And so we kind of, that, that was our wheelhouse. So we really wanted to invest in our kids. And when your kids are young, you don't see that these little guys that are you know they they're born and they just all they do is poop and cry for a while and you're you know you're thinking oh man and it's you know it's a burden and it's right time to ride you're going through things there's <laughs> a bright baby and uh but then they they grow up it happens so fast oh my lord 
and then they're they're just living life and they become people all write this down all little babies grow up to be real people (laughs) and you know i look today and 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 we did invest in our kids and we didn't do it all just right i wish i would have done it better there's things i didn't know uh things that happened to them probably i could have helped them more if i would have understood some things um and yet i look at i got two kids and they're both serving god one of them's kind of the pastor of the church here you know that's pretty cool and they kind of got it you know and a lot of that i mean i didn't get them saved jesus did that but i we purposely invested in them that's part of our mission field in fact that's if you're a parent that's your most important mission field is your own family your kids and so uh so anyway, that, 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 it's a loving God accepting us. There's a real hell, and this speaks to that. Uh, now, this once again, this is as far the, the altar of incense, or the, excuse me, the altar, the brass altar was the, as far as the general people could go, but families would gather here before, after entering, entering the gate. Uh, after this, only an ordained priest could go forward for them representing these families. But they would bring a sacrifice an animal to be killed at this altar and the animal was a substitute for them and what they had done so this vividly brought them to the realization that they deserve to die for their sin and it was very serious if it was a lamb offered the la- the animal had to be pure it could have no flaws and once again this is a picture of jesus the spotless lamb of god scripture says isaiah 53 7 through 8 he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. That's speaking of the brazen altar. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression, transgressions of my people, he was stricken. So this is Jesus. He was cut off. The, the lamb of God that came. The lamb... This lamb that they brought was probably raised in the family's homes as a pet because this lamb had to be perfect. It couldn't have any flaws. So this would be you taking a pet. For instance, I'm talking a lot about my bulldog this morning, but this would be like me taking this little bulldog who's a sweet little innocent animal who, you know, hangs out with me while I'm at home. And when I take a nap, sometimes in the afternoon, she gets she takes a nap with me and she's my buddy, you know. And, and you love these, these little animals. It's, well, this is what these people, a whole family, and all the kids too, they're bringing Sparky, the little lamb that they've raised from life and carefully raised, and they're going to watch as he dies at the hands of, one, of a priest. So this animal was tied to the horns and slaughtered in front of the family. And can you imagine little kids? And you think God wanted them to see that? I guess so. I guess God knew that wouldn't traumatize them for life, although I'm sure it was tough. And I'm, I doubt that they brought little bitty, I don't know, but two or three-year-olds, I think probably were careful with that. Um, and yet, the, it does say, it's very clear that that family's gathered at that altar <laughs> to watch that animal die. Uh, it was a vivid, visual, unforgettable image that told the family that the wages of sin is death. Then the animal's blood was caught and offered up to the Lord to cover their sin. Now, to only to cover it, not to do away with it, but to cover it. Then this blood 
that this animal shed was representative of life. And it speaks of this in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And it says this, uh, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So atone, this word atone means reparation for wrong or injury. The reconciliation of man and God through the life, suffering, and death of Jesus Christ. So this covered their sins, but their sins were only covered. They were still there, you know. It's like this table I'm, um, we're looking at this morning. It's got a cover on it, right? And the real table's under the, the cover. The, just because we put a cover here doesn't mean the table disappeared. It doesn't work that way. No, that table's still there. Well, your sins were covered, but your sins were still there. They still existed. The sin was only covered, not removed. And so they had to come back year after year and repeat this every uh, year at the Day of Atonement. So their sins were covered for that year. <laughs> but then they'd have to come back and do the same thing older, o over and older. The brazen altar was not a beautiful place to look at either. It was probably a smelly, ugly, repulsive sight. It was a scene of fire, smoke, and the shedding of blood. Can you imagine how this would, would assault your senses? as you watch the, the smoke coming up. And, you know, we really don't see all that here, but the animal, there's, there's animals uh, braying, sheep are, are, are baying. Is that what they do? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, cattle, they, they also kill cattle. So, and there was bloodshed. They were catching this blood. Then the animals were slaughtered. And uh, so fire, smoke, smells, assaulting your senses as you're standing there. And it was to remind them of the covenant that God had made with them. And this began with Abraham. So let's talk about that covenant for just a minute. The blood covenant. God cut this blood covenant with Abraham. And let's talk about how the, the, uh, the intricacy of this covenant. It's very interesting because we have a blood covenant with God through Jesus Christ. The, uh, the blood covenant worked like this. In ancient times, the world was a very dangerous place. So it was important to have friends and allies. And for that reason, people would bind together based on the blood covenant. These are people not necessarily that are even serving God. They just join in this covenant. So it worked this way. Two men, two men as the heads of families or the heads of tribes would enter these covenants, uh, would enter into the blood covenant, the leaders. And they would call all their friends, their families, their neighbors, or the people of their different tribes uh, to witness the covenant vows. So in the presence of, the, of those people gathered, two men would document the stipulations on some kind of a contract. This contract included the purpose of the covenant as well as the, as the blessings for keeping the covenant and the curses for violating the stipulations of the covenant. Is everybody with me? So there were two copies of the covenant made. And they were signed by each tribe or, or family in blood. And the blood came from the veins of the two covenant partners. In other words, they, they made a cut in their wrist, and uh, then they would uh, seal the covenant. They would fold these contracts up and sew them in a small leather pouch, which they wore either around their neck or their upper arm, and they carried these covenants around with them all the time. So to draw blood from a, for the signing, a wound was made usually in the right forearm, and it was kept open in order to form a scar as a living sign of the covenant made in the bodies of the covenant partners. So the men would, 
when they made the cut, they would join these wounds and they allowed the blood to flow together to symbolize a sharing of common blood. Or now we are one blood together is what they're saying, right? Next, they would exchange a portion of property, armor, or flock. And then the last part of the covenant, they were to join names. Each man would take a letter or a syllable from the other man's name and they would add it to their names. For instance, you got a guy named Smith, you got a family named Luton. Well, they would change their names. Maybe they would be called now, both of them would be Smithton. I mean, it was so serious, they changed names. Uh, and after these exchanges were done, an animal, usually a bull or an ox, was killed and cut entirely in two, split open, and the pieces were laid side to side. And as a sign of the sealing of the covenant, these two men would walk in one blood. They would walk through the blood. And you can imagine these animals are cut wide open. There's blood everywhere. They would walk through the blood between the pieces. After this, the families would celebrate with a feast. And from that day forward, each man was obligated to protect and avenge the other if the need arise. Should one man die, the other took responsibility of caring for the dead man's wife and children. Or the tribes, would they would care for each other. So this was an irrevocable part of the covenant. With this understood by a man like Abraham, uh, it must have been a shock to him, to Abraham, when God told him in Genesis 17, 7. Let's read this. God says, I will confirm my covenant with you. I will confirm. God says this. I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. It was irrevocable. Wow. Uh, Genesis 15 describes the process of God and Abraham cutting this covenant. So God went through the process of cutting these. There were many animals that God cut in two. And then God walked through the pieces. Now, Abraham didn't walk through the pieces. In fact, the Scripture says that he was asleep and he dreamed and, and, and there were things that came against him in that dream. And anyway, but the point is that that day, whenever that blood was shed to enter the covenant, God shed no blood. Abraham did. Abraham shed blood when he was circumcised. That was the shedding of blood for Abraham. And circumcision was a part of, of then the covenant that the Jews still uh, used to, uh, uh, you know, with, to, with God today. Uh, but God didn't shed any blood. Uh, so how could God share his blood with Abraham's? Because God has no blood. Because <laughs> God doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. So how could this covenant be ratified without the shedding of blood by both parties? Well, God knew that 2,000 years later, blood would be shed. And that's when God took on human flesh. In Matthew 28, 26, 28, Jesus says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, wow, which is shed for many for the remission, the remission of sins, not the covering of sins. The blood of Jesus does more than cover our sins. It remits our sins. This blood covenant is, of course, a picture of the cross. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Everything on that brazen altar points to the fact that Jesus came and fulfilled all that. His gruesome death is what we deserve. He took it for us. Our sin is not just covered now by the blood of Jesus, but it is removed. It is eradicated. It is done away with. It is forgotten by God. Now, that's amazing. 
God has the ability. It says that your sins will be as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way. Did you know it? That's, that's unending. Because when God scientists say this, that light expands, or the, the universe is expanding at the speed of light right now as we speak. So when God said light be and light crashed into this, this you know, cosmic whatever, then, this, then the universe began to expand at the speed of light, and it's still going today. So east, as far as the east is from the west, your sin is still, still going. And if you can't really, you come to God and say, Lord, you remember what I did, that stupid deal? And I know I ask you to forgive me, but Lord, and, and God says, I don't even know, know what you're talking about. Because in my mind, it's done. It's, it's not covered. It's not. He, he gets, it's gone. It's repudiated. Hallelujah. We're made clean. He forgot it. Not only that, then God changed their names that day. Remember, part of the covenant was you change names. So before uh, the covenant with God, Abraham's name was Abram. And then his wife, Sarai, her name was Sarai. But their names became Abraham and Sarah. And the Hebrew letter was added to each of their names. This is Hebrew letter Hey, H-E-I, which means the breath of God. Remember God breathed into Adam the breath of life. That Remember the closeness we talked about? Uh, this Hebrew letter Hey represents the breath of God, the very life of God. So Abraham's name, God, the name of God was put into his name. Well, here's what's cool. When we get saved, God is in you. Maybe your physical name didn't change, but you're a different person. You're made a brand new person. When Hay became a part of their name, they were empowered to fulfill their divine destiny and reproduce a child supernaturally. It is a picture of what happens when we enter the blood covenant with Jesus Christ. His life comes into us. We are born again by the breath of Almighty God, and we are empowered to fulfill His divine promise. Hallelujah. This is exciting stuff, folks. Anybody liking this like me? Wow, I want to go do a zoomy. said, whereas in the old covenant, our sin could only be covered. Now it's removed. We've become a brand new person infused with the life of Almighty God. He's in there if you got saved. You know, maybe you felt it. I don't know. I kind of felt something, but more than that. It's more than just physical feeling. But, but he, yes, he's on the inside of us. First uh, Peter 1.18 speaks to this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. From the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Uh, maybe your family. Maybe you got a family name that's not that great. Uh, maybe you know something about your family tree. And maybe you got some uh, problems in your family tree. I don't know. But in Christ, all that's done away with. Isn't that awesome? Uh, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom. Everybody say ransom. Ransom actually means a sum of money paid for the release of a prisoner. You've been set free long before the world began. But he, is, uh, he has now revealed him to you in these last days so folks we can take great confidence when we think about this when we're bringing our our when we're coming to the lord and we're thinking about the brass altar we can go okay that's where the animal was sacrificed that's where jesus paid the price for me he did that for me i have the right to come in to this uh this spiritual place to be with god today because of what jesus did wow we are really 
forgiven by God. It's amazing. That should make us happy and joyful when we really get into that. In fact, in fact I want you to close your eyes right now. And just, I want you, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lead you. We need to thank God for the blood and what he did for us. Lord, I just stop right now and thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for what you did for me that day when I met you. And then I began a life with you. And I certainly have not been perfect. And I've stumbled and I've missed it from time to time. But I thank you that the blood of Jesus is effective. It speaks on my behalf today when I come to you. I thank you that that blood cleansed me and continues to cleanse me, continues to do that work, to take me to this destination. Oh, Lord, you're so good, and I thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. So the brazen altar represents the place of salvation and the price it took to bring us back to God. And when we believe in Jesus, we pass from life to death by his precious blood. All right. Is that good? Yeah, good? Okay. Let's take a little break. Okay. Can you, can you take a five-minute break and go to the bathroom? Because I would like to do that myself. And then we'll come back here. So it's 9.56 at uh, 10.01. I'm going to start preaching whether you're here or not. So don't dilly-dally. But uh, we'll take a break. Come right back. All right. Okay. Let's go. You ready? Can we get the overview of the of the whole tabernacle again? Is that possible? Just kind of check up on things. Do we have an overview of like the? Uh, see it from the top. Ah, that yeah yeah yeah. So, so here we are. We came in the eastern gate right here. See, and that's the brazen altar with the smoke and the priests and the animals would gather there and then the next place they came on the journey before they go in the inner court was right here and that is the brazen laver that's the brass laver you have a picture of that and you know this is the one piece of the tabernacle that we really don't know much about the detail um because uh, what what the scripture what god gave instruction for this uh, Exodus thirty eighteen, he says, You shall make me a laver of bronze with this base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and for his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. So we're not really sure. There's not a lot of detail as, as to how that would work. It couldn't have just been like a big deal of water where they're going. They get, and the reason they're washing is they got animal blood all over them. And because that would get nasty you know after a little while so it had to be some kind of running water system and we're not really sure what that may have looked like but the brazen laver was in its purpose a picture of sanctification the brazen laver we came to the altar and we got our sin is taken care of but now we're sanctified and the priests would they would do the sacrifices and then remember only the priest could come further now the people they've come as far as they can go the priests are going for them on their behalf and after the blood was was applied at the brazen altar then they would have blood all over them so they would go to a place to clean up and they would do this many times a day a day offer sacrifices it's like they were they were working in a you know like a uh, animal butcher place 
and, and then they would have to go cleanse. So a picture of sanctification. Sanctify means to cleanse externally, to set apart, to get to dedicate. So once again, this is this is has to do with the body, our physical body, our physical act, and uh, so they were to wash their hands and their feet. It says they wash their hands and their feet. That's what was dirty. Their hands representing what they were doing, and their feet representing where they were going. Okay. And there were this is a two. There's a twofold ap- application here. Write this down. Twofold application. Number one, Christ's resurrection ministry is what he's speaking of here. And the fact that he continues cleansing his own until he presents us faithless and blameless before the Father. This is an ongoing work in us on a daily basis, right? Because every day is a is a it's a day into itself. It's a you know it's a brand new time, new decisions. Hopefully, they're most of them are good, but sometimes they're bad. <laughs> and uh, and when you mess up, you know God doesn't throw you away. Isn't that good to know? We're, we're cleansed. Uh, Jude one twenty four says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to, re- to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. So it's a picture of his resurrection ministry. And number two, it applies to the work of the Holy Spirit in our earth journey. The written word and the Holy Spirit continually work to cleanse us as we walk with him. Always working in us. Working with our conscience. Working with our decision maker. You know, God doesn't make you do anything, and the devil doesn't make you do anything. We get into things because we decide to do things. Your decider is strong. God wants to help us with our decider because our flesh, remember, we're talking about our flesh here. Your flesh just wants to do certain things because that's your flesh. Your flesh wants to eat all the time. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, it's just your flesh is crying out. And, uh, and your flesh is crying out for cheeseburgers and french fries and things like that. I mean, that's your flesh. But if you just listen to your flesh, you're going to get in big time trouble. you got to eat salads and, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and lettuce. and eat. But it's good. It's good for you, right? And green beans and tofu. No, don't eat. I don't know. I don't eat tofu. <laughs> whatever but that your flesh so this is dealing with your flesh the labor also contained brass mirrors in it so it's made out of brass remember that's humanity that's sin but also mirrors brass mirrors uh, exodus 38 8 talks about this he made the labor of bronze and its base of bra- uh, bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting so that's interesting they took the the mirrors of these ladies that had mirrors because women have mirrors my wife carries around mirrors Uh, women do that i don't carry around a mirror okay i don't want to look at myself that much but trudy does in fact in our in her bed in her in our bathroom i've got a mirror here but she's got this big mirror on her side and then she's got this little magnifying mirror that lights up it's fancy mirror and then she got a little mirror when we travel that has got a little light in it. She got these fancy mirrors. I don't have that. But so these, these come from the women because women have mirrors. And these mirrors were given uh, at the tabernacle by the Israeli women. They had been brought from Egypt. And here's the significance of this. These women had used these mirrors as encouragement to the men. And this is the way this worked. The men were out working and they were building, they were slaves. 
and they're making brick and they're building these things for Pharaoh, pyramids and stuff like that, right? And they're under hard labor all the time. So they had to endure extreme physical hardship. And it's very discouraging, I'm sure. They were in bondage for many, many years. And I'm sure there were times they wanted to give in and quit. But these women had these mirrors, and they would use the mirrors to make themselves up so when the men came home, they would look at their pretty wife and encourage them to reproduce and have babies to preserve the, the race. So that's the significance of the mirrors. So the mirrors spoke to not just vanity, but it spoke to the the race going on. I'm sorry, I don't have my. That's my uh, warning that I'm getting an email. Let me turn my. Just love technology. Why isn't that doing that? Okay. Anyway. Um, so that's what the mirrors were used for. Were, were used for, and it speaks to in the New Testament. It speaks to this James one twenty one. So get rid of all filth and evil, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. But you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So the priest speaks to this. They would come to these brass, this, this labor to wash, but then they would have to look at themselves. And it's a picture of we have to look at ourselves spiritually often to check up on ourselves. How are you doing, buddy? How are you doing today? Have you, you got anything you need to deal with? And this is an ongoing, lifelong thing that we all do. If you follow the Lord, there's always God's taking you to a place of growth. We're always learning something. Listen, I'm an old guy. I'm sure I'm the oldest dude in the room, but I've learned. I've learned. I don't want to get stuck somewhere because old people can do that. They can. And then just get on people's nerves. Nobody wants to be around you because you're old and ornery and you think you got it all figured out. You never get it all figured out. God, help me not to think I got it all figured out. Now, I know a couple of things, okay? And I may know a little more in some areas than some younger people. And yet, like a lot of my job in this church is to encourage these young guys that are on the the, the battle line, that are doing the work of the ministry. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been in ministry for 40-plus years, so maybe I can be an encouragement to them when I meet with them and say, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, what, 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 what are your challenges? Can I pray with you? And maybe they'll say something that I could say, here's what I did whenever that came up with me 25 years ago or whenever this ministry thing or in my marriage. or So I, not that I can fix people because I learned, listen, I, that, I think that's been one of my scourges that I have to work on. I've learned that I can't fix people. Because sometimes, you know, I do counseling and uh, meet with people. And, and I've, I say this to myself every time I go in. I say, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to give them the word. But, Lord, I'm not their answer. You're their answer. I'm going to push them to you. I'm going to push them to be right with you. Because, see, that's really the answer is people coming to God. And we are the best way we can help people is to point them to Jesus and maybe say something that will encourage them. But you're not going to win anybody by putting them down. 
what is wrong with you, you goober? Why are you doing Are you stupid? Why? That, nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that, right? And that, that doesn't work. That doesn't help people. But that's what these mirrors symbolize. Uh, uh, and that's what the mirror does for us. We look at ourselves on an ongoing basis. For the believer, it symbolizes two important considerations as we come into the presence of the Lord. Number one, we need to take an honest look at ourselves. How are we doing? Are we walking uprightly? Do we have sin in our life that we need to confess? Because this is a beautiful scripture that, that we should all know and love. Commit to memory, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Isn't that good? Amen. So that's a picture of this labor. And then number two, do you have wounds and hurts from your past that are hindering your future? Things that, places in your past that, that put a mark on you and you got hurt. And, and understand this, we can freely talk to God about anything troubling us. He loves us and wants to help us in the depths of our past pain. You can intimately tell him anything. He wants to heal you and get you past your past. Isn't that good? No matter how, you know, we're, and, and here's the thing about things that hurt us and bruised us. And Scripture says Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. You know, he was, when he took our healing on the cross, he was beaten. And blood flowed out of his back. And he was beaten with a, a whip. And the Scripture says, with his stripes were healed. But it says, but then it says this, we were wounded for uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. So a bruise is not like it's a wound, but it's under the skin, right? It's, it stays under the skin, and, and that's a picture of things that, that, that we went through in life. And we all went through something. You know, somewhere along the line, maybe your mama dropped you on your head, something happened. Something happened to all of us. And, and those things are real. And, and I don't know that we'll just forget everything. But I think God wants us to help, help us get past those things that, that hurt us. You know, I had a dad that he was a good man in so many respects, but my dad and I didn't gel, and I thought he didn't like me. And as a kid, that's, I didn't know much, you know. I, I know now he did, but we, we didn't mesh. And so my dad and I, and that affected me. I didn't think my dad loved me. He never came to my games when I played sports. Um, I didn't think he cared anything about me. I, I, and I know now that he did. And I know now that when he jumped on me, he was trying to, he didn't want me to mess my life up, right? And yet that's something that, that impacted me. And I took that in even into my Christian life. Uh, those things affected me and, and affected relationships. Because what happens when you get saved is your spirit is made brand new, but your mind, you still got that stuff. That's why you have to renew your mind. We're going to get into the mind and the, and the inner court. And everything there has to do with your mind and your thinking and the way God wants you to think and how, how we can change those thought patterns, right? But uh, so this is all about getting past these things. We can freely talk to God about anything that troubles us. He wants to heal us and get us past our past. Psalm 55, 22 says this, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. But we got to give that stuff to him and learn to bring it to him, right? Uh, so this labor also represents water baptism. And water baptism is something that every believer should do. 
it's a part of our we get saved and then we should be water baptized what is water baptism all about uh acts 238 talks about it. it says repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit so every believer should obediently follow the lord in baptism it represents the, the water baptism represents this I'm a certain way when I sit down in the tank or I go to the, uh, I go to the ocean. Uh, people can get baptized in the ocean. Or, you know, Trudy and I were in, uh, I've been water baptized more than once. We were in Israel, and in Israel at the Jordan River, you can be water baptized. Anybody ever been to Israel, by the way? Yeah. Well, it's really cool. You go to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, and they have a place that groups come and they do water baptisms. So when we were there, I said, dude, I want to be baptized in the Jordan River. All right. And uh, it was really cool. We had our little group. uh was a bunch of charismatic Christians. And we got in there, and we just kind of had church, man. We The power of God came. <laughs> and I remember Trudy was baptized, and she came up just laughing, and the, the spirit was on her. Anyway, it was great. But it represents that you're like this. Your old man is living, but you've received Christ. You have a new spirit. But you are making a profession. I'm going to die to the old me. Go under the water. It's like I died and I drowned. But I come back up and I'm a new person and I'm following God. It's a declaration that I think it's good to do publicly in front of people. Because you're saying, hey, not just privately, but no, I'm, I want everybody to know this. I'm living a brand new life. Uh, we come up, we're declaring we're washed and dead from the old way of life. Jesus himself was water baptized, and so should we be in obediently following our Lord. Uh, and I'm going to read about that. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to begin closing. Then Jesus came from Galilee of John uh, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he, the Son of God was baptized, perfect Jesus was baptized. So if he was, I think we should be. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So the laver represents the place where we, we come to the brass altar to, to enter into that covenant with God. It's a, it's a picture of we got saved. We made that decision. And then the laver represents the place of washing, water baptism, where we determine now we're going to live for God. It's something that we do on an ongoing basis. We go to those mirrors. We look at ourselves on an ongoing basis. And that is the outer court experience. Can we have the whole thing again? Uh, overview. There's the labor. Probably not a good representation, but nevertheless. Uh, yeah, that's that's great. So we've now... We come in the gate with thanksgiving and praise, and then we come to the altar, the brazen altar, and now we go to the labor to wash, and now after all that's happened, we're ready as a priest remember the people couldn't do this but the priest could but we have become kings and priests unto him in christ we're our priests we can go right into the inner court and there's some really cool things going on in the inner court we're going to talk about next week but this week we're done we're completed so we got a couple of minutes
Does anybody have any questions about what we've taught? Yes, sir, James. Yeah. Uh, by family, by household. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's interesting to talk to me because you were, you were teaching this about how, you know, the husband, the head of the house, took the land, drained the blood, and applied it to the threshold mm-hmm. of the house, uh, you know, the lintels. Right. Yeah. So right. And, uh, the head of the house. In the Passover, yeah. Yeah. They were deli- God delivered an entire nation out of Israel uh, by family and by household. Yeah. So That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this idea, I'm already going to the New Testament. Yeah. No, that's good. I, yeah. Yeah. Maybe like maybe like a church, a tribe, yeah. Well, yeah, well, we're a, a local church body, a individual, nation, yeah. We, a nation, we have a government. Um, the first scripture you gave us: "You shall be unto me a king's dominion and domain." That's what I get out of kingdom, a government. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's that's so good. It was by family. So family is the entity that God, he chose a man and a woman in the beginning. That it, When you think about it that way, you see the devil attacks what he fears and what he hates. And so now he, he's doing all he can to this gender thing that's going on right now that's so prominent and growing. It's an attack against God's ordained family. The destruction of the family, because he knows if he can get the family, he, he's got the culture. That's right. So therefore, we do have to uh, number one work on our family. Trudy and I traveled around the country for twenty years and taught on marriage and raising kids, because it's a big, big deal that we understand how God designed that to work. Because that's where the that's where the enemy tries to get people, tries to come in your house and get between husband and wife and so there's some things you have to do because families being successful is what makes us a successful church and not perfect families but not a perfect church but people that are chasing God yes ma'am the wood represented humanity so it was brass and wood now when we get in the inner court we're going to f- discover that everything is no more, no longer brass. It's gold, and gold is purity. And uh, yeah. And humanity of the wood is that because the wood wouldn't taste. The brass. Yeah, it's good. Good point. So would they have to rebuild? Would they have to rebuild it? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I'm sure that in time, yeah, they would have to. Redo them. Yes. So was the altar gold because this tabernacle, the Moses tabernacle, was the same as the, the Lord's tabernacle? Yeah. 
I'm sorry, say that again. No. Here's the the sequence was they built the tabernacle is the first place, if you will, and then the temple of Solomon. Um, uh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. The the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David once again was different in that it didn't have all the furniture and it just zeroed in. I think God was emphasizing through David. David's a type of Christ like no other king or prophet. I think God is emphasizing there the importance of his presence with David. And David was a worshiper and connected with God. And, you know, there's no king that's like a picture of the church like David. Because David wasn't perfect, and yet he had a heart for God. And so, in fact, it says in the book of Acts that he will rebuild the tabernacle of David. And I think that's a picture, honestly, of what we're seeing right now. You know, what's happening right now in the church that I observe is there's this great move of worship and prayer. And it's like we're coming back to the reality of our connection with God. And this church is doing that in new developing ways all the time. And uh, I, I think generally the church is doing that. And uh, I think God's wanting to, that's the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. I think this is the thing that's going to bring Jesus back. We'll be operating in that kind of a spirit, if you will. But, okay, after the tabernacle of David is a temple of Solomon. Then that temple was destroyed and rebuilt. And then in the days of Jesus, it was destroyed not to be rebuilt until the end time it will be rebuilt and they will do sacrifice the Jews haven't done sacrifices for hundreds of years but they will do that again right before the Lord returns and uh, and these things will be reinstated and wow you know we're living in such an exciting time it's a crazy time and yet you got to look at the spiritual part of it because I see I step back I've been around for some moves you know I was alive in the during the Jesus movement. Anybody saw that movie this year about the Jesus movement and about uh, uh, Chuck Smith um, in, uh, in California? And it was, a, it was a time when a bunch of hippies, I was kind of one, okay? I was in a rock band and all that kind of, had, I had real long hair one time. And uh, I was kind of a pseudo hippie. Uh, I say pseudo because real hippies didn't take baths. And I always liked a good bath. But anyway, uh, God moved in that time and there were a bunch of people like me and I was one of them that during the Jesus movement began to get saved and it was a sovereign thing God was doing and then that tied in with the charismatic move uh, where a lot of uh, denominational Christians began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then we went through a time of, of not all over the church but there was a move called the Word of Faith movement which kind of went crazy but yet it started out teaching us the importance of the word that really rocked trudy in my life when we found out the stability of god's word oh that helped us so much and that you could build your life on the word and you could pray and declare things and and believe god and uh and that was wonderful i think i think a lot of these things all these things are going to kind of come back at the end and we're going to see kind of all all these wonderful movements will they all come back the end to do something incredible i don't know but it's an exciting time to be alive 
Yeah. No. It's kind of, yeah. 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 After the, after the temple was destroyed, they, they stopped. You, you have something on that? They will. They're going to look on him that they pierced. They're going to have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, their Messiah, and they're going to go, oh my goodness, wow. All these things are going to come. They're, they're, there's going to come a day, this whole deal we're doing right now, it's going to change, baby. This earth is going to be burned up. Messiah is coming back to set up a brand new kingdom, thousand year reign. But we're not preaching on that. We're talking about the tabernacle. <laughs> All right. It's 8, 10, 28. One more question. Anybody? You know, there's things we can't do in there, so that's why we do these classes, right? Because we can dig into things, and it's a little more informal. And uh, is it this Leviticus 17? Uh, what, what was your? Maybe this is Exodus. Excuse me, Leviticus 17:11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins. So atone means reparation, but atonement does not expediate. No, and that's not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for? Atonement doesn't doesn't get rid of it. <laughs> it only covers. Uh, I do have one question. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that probably is the big big kicker there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, they are. The temple will be. <laughs> temple will. <laughs> so, baby, when that thing starts going up, look up. Lord, okay. Yeah, you guys are awesome. All right. You're, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming.